That is how you respond. One-on-one, the Colts after two weeks. I think that's what, at least I thought. Uh, definitely not how I expected the first 60-minute sessions of week one and week two to go for the Colts. But nonetheless, one-on-one football team and uh, a fresh winner, 28-11. to 11. I always look to the scoreboard on Sunday and like, man, that looks weird. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you have a safety and uh, the Vikings suck. So a really nice performance, Chris. I thought really one of the better performances, especially defensively, we've seen from Matt Eberflus in this unit. It was so needed, so necessary. Uh, we'll hit on that. And uh, as always, I'm Kevin Bowen. That's Chris Presley across the way. Good weekend. Yeah, great weekend. It was my mother's birthday. I know it was your birthday as well, so yep. happy birthday to you. Thank you. Yeah, 31 is not 21. I will <laughs> say that in terms of how you celebrate it. But, um, yeah, it was a great weekend. Wife did a lot of nice things, and Rosie had a large impact on things. And, man, yeah, I mean, I saw that first diaper on Friday when it was my birthday, and I'm like, woohoo, this is a <laughs> lot different than I'm used to. But uh, that's life, and I uh, had a great time. Beautiful fall weather. It is. Here in the Indy area, and Notre Dame rolled. Mm-hmm. U.S. Open was decent for a while. Not really on Sunday, but let's get into it, Colts. Uh, boy, can go in so many different ways mm-hmm. here. Uh, before we get into what I liked, what I didn't like, just general overall thoughts in the game. Um, like I said, that's how a team that has aspirations to play meaningful football in January should respond. Yep. You know, we can debate, and the Vikings got to be the biggest disappointment in the NFL, honestly, after two weeks, just with how ugly of performances they've had. But still, I mean, anytime you control a game in the NFL like that and do it really for the entire game in every single facet, uh, that is notable. And I I think we need to commend the Colts. We don't need to have these grand proclamations of, that's a Super Bowl team. That's a top 10 team, you know, top 10 drafting team after two weeks. No, I, I, I think what I saw from the Colts yesterday was a team that's capable of playing some pretty good football. And again, defensively making those changes. Um, you know, that wasn't surviving and holding on and praying that you're mm-hmm. one and one after two games. That was a convincing, controlled game in every facet, really. Do they still look at it this year, Kevin, like the motto from a few years ago, the one and oh? They just take it game by game, just try to win, go one and oh each week. Yeah. And obviously, that's the most tired cliche you could <laughs> ever, uh, ever imagine. I totally get it. You know, when you're in that building, that's exactly how you have to operate. And with how injuries rise in this league, Week to week is so different, the storylines. It's what we love about the NFL. It can Mm -hmm. be maddening at times, but it's certainly what we love about this league. But, I mean, just look at how different your approach was on the defensive side this week from what we saw and just the amount of playmaking. Um, You know, something that stood out to me, Chris, I feel like early in the game is, you know, that Mo Alley-Cox drop interception. That can be such a jolt in life for Minnesota and yet you still were able to stomp on them and kind of be like, no, 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 we're in control of this game. We just had a dominant 16-play drive that should have ended in points. Uh, Here we are going to continue to keep up that momentum and make those plays. You know, we won't talk about Phillip Rivers a whole lot on today's podcast, and that's exactly what I think Frank Reich was meaning after the game and saying, this is the blueprint of what we want. You don't put all this on the quarterback's yeah. plate, all this on his shoulders of saying, go chuck it 46 times and things like that. I think that's more what he was getting at uh, from a blueprint standpoint. So, you know, there are things that we'll get to and what I didn't like, that there's room for improvement with this football team. But 
again, you responded from some early adversity in this game. You responded from early adversity in week one. You handled your business in a 60-minute performance that is really one of the more impressive ones I've seen, particularly defensively, uh, in the Frank Reich era. I love the way that they controlled the clock again and really dominated the line of scrimmage from the offensive side of the ball. Um, what, 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 did, what stood out to you? What did you like? Well, I would say the first thing just in general was what we saw from the first snap defensively. Yeah. You know, it was just – it was stickier. It was disrupting the timing more. It was – um. It, it was – and I tweeted this about middle of the third quarter. It was a perfect example to me, Chris, of when you disrupt timing, you challenge wideouts, you force difficult throws early. Now Kirk Cousins gives you a gift, you know, later on in the game or – um, he feels a little bit more pressure, and it's not in this great rhythm. I think back to the Kenny Moore interception where he threw behind, I think it was the Johnson kid, on just a little bit of a simple crossing route that usually is easy timing for a guy mm-hmm. like Cousins. But no, he doesn't have that same rhythm. He's a little bit rattled, a little bit flustered, and he throws a little bit behind Johnson, and boom, Kenny Moore is in position to make that play. Even on that first drive. I mean, Adam Thielen made some grabs that you're just like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's that's a stud making stud-like plays. Mm-hmm. But think about how much more difficult those catches were for Adam Thielen to make. Those were not easy grabs whatsoever. And that is when I saw early on, and I'm up in that you know bird's eye press box view of seeing the entire field, and I'm you know pretty much seeing you know, eight, nine, maybe even ten guys in the box consistently. Like, I I saw a little bit more of that. Okay, the DBs are up close to the line of scrimmage. I was encouraged by the first drive of just like, all right, they're making things more difficult. That is all I asked for, of disrupting the timing. Don't let Cousins get comfortable back there. And the numbers just back it up. It's uh, the, the, The number that stands out the most to me is, Nine passes defensed. Yeah. So nine pass breakups, nine times your hand was on the ball that forced an incompletion or a pick. That's in 26 pass attempts. You know? Mm -hmm. I mean, one incompletion last week. Exactly. You get nine times. I mean, that is the epitome of defensive playmaking when it becomes pass defense time. And that's, you know, again, every unit impacting you. Um Man, it was, a, it was a really, really good performance. It was the altering of the approach that we talked about last Wednesday on the second podcast of the week. I wrote about it. It was changing it up, and it was necessary. It was needed. It should have been in the game plan week one, but you move on and, and, and you make some changes. Uh, I thought a player that you know no one will, will, will really mention but kind of set the tone early for me was the Vikings get that first and goal early on when uh, Danico Autry – commits the penalty yep. that unfortunately that's you know life in 2020 in the NFL that's going to be a penalty every time you had a reserve defensive lineman in the game Taylor Stallworth make two straight stops inside the 10 yard line on run plays and it, it, it's a little thing we'll overlook just like we'll overlook Braden Smith you know pouncing on the fumble when Yannick Ngakwe mm-hmm. you know strip sack there in the second half but that play set the tone of defense holds force the field goal you know, Minnesota gets a touchdown there, and it, it that can totally change the yeah. whole complexion of the game. So I thought a big play there from Stallworth. Um, you know, the fact that Thielen didn't have a catch 
after the first drive. Mm-hmm. Not one. Yeah. Not one catch. Um, five targets the rest of the game, and, and again, not a single reception for their best player. You know, you weren't even close to a turnover last week, Chris. Weren't even close. Nowhere. And you had three of them. You got your hand on again on several other balls. I mean, th- there were a couple plays that stand out to me. Like Kenny Moore gets beat and gets his hand in there on Kyle mm-hmm. Rudolph. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a big 20, 30 yard gain that totally would have flipped field position if nothing else. Xavier Rhodes gets beat on a play that Thielen, you know, cousins to Thielen, and there's Xavier again, six one frame, last second, boom, is able to get that pass deflection. Those are the plays that we just didn't even see at all. Week one, no. and I think it started with your approach. Um, man, that was it was really good. Cousins was so rattled, and his by far his lowest um, passer rating of his career. This guy's started nearly 100 games. Yeah, and he's making a lot of money. Yeah, making a ton of money. Um, better in the run game. You know, won't look perfect on the box score. I mean, Cook still had four and a half a carry, but I probably would have signed up for that before the start of the game. I thought you set the edge better early on, so. Yeah, I was a little shocked when I first looked at the the box score at the end of the game and saw our leading tackler was Kenny Moore and Leonard with six apiece. But then you re- remember back to how many three and outs that defense forced yesterday. Yeah. You're not going to have a lot of tackles when you're only on the field three times in possession. No, and I'm glad you mentioned Leonard and Moore. I mean, I thought your stars gave you more. I thought it was an all-pro effort from Buckner. Mm-hmm. I mean, four quarterback hits is a number that's just yeah. eye-popping. What he did to that poor dude's family, <laughs> the right guard. I mean, Jesus, that's a, that should be illegal. Um, and for the second week in a row, Justin Houston should be giving a gift to DeForest Buckner for saying, oh, mm-hmm. thank you for that sack. Yep. I was glad they gave Buckner half sack there. Sometimes they can get finicky. You know, if that's late in the season and Robert Mathis is going for the NFL sack record, they might give that full one mm-hmm. in the in the home building to Mathis. But, I mean, like you said, Chris, I'm looking at the box score right here. Four first downs on the first series of the game. Second quarter, they had five series. Three and out, three and out, safety, three and out, interception, four and out, and that was it. That was an interception. So one first down and five series in the second quarter. Love seeing that. I mean, you should have been up a lot more, you know. Yeah. You're just like, you're kind of thinking, oh, boy, you're playing with fire, you're playing with fire here. Uh, but did a nice job then again in the third quarter as well. And Yeah, I mean, Leonard was, man, his speed was on display. Just great pursuit angles and. Um, you know, certainly the secondary. We'll get into Julian Blackman when we talk about Malik Hooker's injury and Kenny Moore again. You know, pass defense and and making stops in the open field and really, really good. Kudos to Matt, Matt Eberflus, deservedly so. Uh, we were critical of him week one. That was an embarrassing performance by the pass defense. But in this league, we saw the owner. Yep, he tweeted out the video, <laughs> folks. I said it was a lot. I mean, once we saw that video, stone cold lock. That was a guarantee. The Colts are going to win. But seriously, you have to respond. One week cannot define you in this league. Nope. Insert every coaching cliche here. Uh, but the Colts bounced back in a big way, which was great to see. And we loved what we saw from that, that draft class of this year. At least I know I did. I know you did. I know the fans just following along on Twitter. Just like the 2018 draft class, it seems, and it's only two games in, we might have found some diamonds in the rough. You know, l- let's start with uh, with the workhorse. It was a... Um, you know, I said 15 to 20 carries wouldn't shock me at all. And obviously when you get into that game and you get a lead, it starts to creep up. But 10 carries on the opening drive? Or maybe it was 11. I don't know. It was an absurd amount. It was the most carries in the NFL um, 
in the first half. I think he had 18 for the first half, Jonathan Taylor. Most carries in the NFL in the first half in two years. I mean, Derrick Henry didn't even do that yeah. last year. It was Henry in 2018. Uh, it was just, it was Frank Reich saying, hey, guys, um, yeah, I effed up week one, passed it too much. This Minnesota D-line might be worse than Jacksonville's D-line. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're going to ground it, and we're going to pound it, and we're going to try and just break their will. And you did that. It was not the home run that, that that maybe we thought from Taylor, but I thought it was like 230 pounds of Taylor just time and time. Methodical, 15-degree day in Camp yep. Randall, and Minnesota's going to hang around for a half and – you know, eventually it's just going to be like, oh, yeah, huh, he is over 100 yards. It's it just one of those type of games for Jonathan Taylor. I think he can carry this workload. I tried to drive that point home last week. He is, he's got the makeup to be able to put that on his shoulders, and I didn't think it was taxing for him or overbearing for him or anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that first drive, it looked like, I look like my high school football team giving the ball to William <laughs> Stubbs every play, just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't really know if we trust the quarterback, but I sure as hell don't trust their D-line. And about the only unit that, help, that is healthy right now for us is the O-line, so why not, why not ride him? So great work by Taylor. Um, and Frank Reich made it clear. Look, look at the snap counts. Yeah. Pittman, 25 more plays than Hilton. Pascal, 17 more plays than Hilton. That's because they wanted to run it. And it sounds like such a small thing, but what I love is how Taylor falls forward. Yeah. Once, oh, yeah. once, like, as he's going to the ground, he's going forward. He's still yes. getting an extra yard or two just on the tackle. Yeah. You aren't stuffing him and he's falling back. You aren't tackling Kevin Bowen. You know, it's not, you know, this is a, this is a grown ass man that you're trying to tackle. And I thought the O line did a better job with establishing the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. The fourth and one early, the hurry up. I mean, boom. That was, that was easy. Uh, just better in short yardage. And, again, wasn't the prettiest of highlight runs in the open field like we will see eventually from yep. Taylor, but it was methodical, workmanlike, got it done. Um, a couple more rookies I want to mention. Pittman, yes, got to clean up the penalties. You know, that's something that I feel like you just you don't love there. Um, but, man, the four catches in the first half were big, mm-hmm. all of them. I mean, the one saved a turnover probably, Harrison Smith, who was all over the field yesterday, um, one of my favorite players ever at Notre Dame. You know, he gets his hand on a ball, and Pittman just shows that frame. And, you know, Chris, it was third down. It was red zone. It mm-hmm. was him showing up four for 37, I think it was. That's not going to win you a fantasy title, but it's going to get the job done for you. You saw the frame, too, on the one that was behind him where the corner was trailing and put his hands out like he was about to pick yeah. it, but Pittman was able to tap it yeah. up in the air. That's it what kinda I was remind, talking about. Yeah. Kind of remind me of that Reggie Wayne in the AFC where the ball was in the air for so long. You're like, <laughs> come down, come down, come down. Yeah, 100%. That 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 potential fumble there. Um, yeah, r- really, really good work by Pittman early on. Um, he was iffy to play. You know, didn't practice on mm-hmm. Friday. Got hurt in Thursday's uh, practice. And then lastly, because um, I'll slot in a hot rod with the special teams group when we talk about them. But how about Julian Blackman? I mean, the fact that he played. You know, yeah. I, I asked Frank on Friday. I'm like, uh, so Julian Blackman's not ruled out? <laughs> you know, I, I got him with there. And he's just like, yeah, we'll see. And let's not get a loss. And I was up. Rosie Bell had me up early this morning. 
So I was able to watch, you know, a good amount of rewinding stuff, going back and looking at it. Julian Blackman had a big role for this football team before Malik Hooker got hurt yes. on Sunday. Yep. I mean, they, he was in sub packages. He played over half the defensive snaps. I see the instincts. Mm-hmm. I see a guy that found the ball a lot. I think you maybe you texted me or, or tweeted it or something. I know you like what you've seen from from Blackman so far. It's thirty snaps. Not going to crown the kid, but how many months removed from the ACL? Yeah, and, and, and he didn't look tentative at all to no. me. Nope. So good work from him, and um, yeah, I guess I'll touch on more of that with kind of the hooker injury and when we get into Twitter questions. Well, you mentioned it, hot rod. I, we we want to see some of those field goals turn into touchdowns, but a great bounce back game from him and a nice job by Rhodes downing that punt. Just a lot of things on the special teams that you can't look past. No, not at all. And let's let's start with hot rod. Um, six of six, mm-hmm. four for four on field goals. Uh, forty four was that the long? I think it was. Um, Chris, his makes look good, really good. And I don't want to get too kick kicker technical here, but you kind of do after last mm-hmm. year. And uh, yeah, I never got every time the ball came off his foot. I'm like, all right, that's going in. It was never like, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. look good. Um, nice bounce back for him, certainly. Um, but overall, special teams wise, Luke freaking Rhodes. It, it it's the play of the game. Honestly, it's uh. I'm going to pull it up here. It's, what were you? You had had the Alley Cox pick. Mm-hmm. It was 7-3, okay? Um, hell, was it the first punt of the season? Yeah. Yeah. First punt of the season, 7-3, and uh, your drive stalls out, kind of fringe field goal range. It would have been, what, 58, 59 that I'm looking at it. Probably too far for Blankenship. Uh, so you decide to kick it, and... Rhodes, as a long snapper, makes that play and downs it at the two. And that's hidden yardage. That gets Pat McAfee excited. That is, it's a play that literally saves 18 yards. Mm-hmm. So think about it as an 18 yard completion, an 18 yard sack, whatever you want to think. Yeah, that would be crazy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it sets up the safety. Now it puts the Vikings behind the chains. Now it limits their playbook. Now all of a sudden they come out, they go, you know, a little three yard gain, and then, uh, they get a holding penalty or some sort of offsetting penalties. Yeah, Rudolph and Malik Hooker had the offsetting penalties. Thielen mm-hmm. incomplete, and boom, there's Buckner and Autry making the play. That that really, I think, changed the game from there. Then you were always playing from the multi-score yep. um, lead. And just what a great play from Rhodes. And uh, dominating field position. Dominating field position all game long. It's one of the more eye-popping average drive starts that you'll ever see. Vikings average drive start for the game, 10 drives, their own 20-yard line. Colts average drive start, 10 drives as well, their own 45-yard line. I mean, You're giving a 25-yard head start every single drive. Mm -hmm. Vikings had 10 drives. They started on their own 22-5-20-2-25-30-24-25-27-25. I mean, the Vikings couldn't cross the street yesterday, let alone, you know, try and move the ball down the field in 80-yard drives. So, um, awesome, awesome job. I I like kind of how 
Rigoberto Sanchez isn't booming the ball in the end zone. They're kind of just setting up for returns, and they're sneaking out five, seven yards here mm-hmm. and there. If we tackle them with the 18 or the 22. You know, it's just little stuff like that that I know Frank Reich had a really big emphasis on special teams in the preseason or in a training camp, and we're seeing that. So, um, out st- this was a complete effort, like you said, in just about every way besides the red zone, finishing off those drives. But defense and special teams, how do you not give them both an A? Yeah, you have to. Great week, great bounce back win, a lot of things to like. But like, like every week, there are some things that you we want to touch on, things that you didn't like. And the first one we want to talk about is the glaring one, and that's the injuries. Yeah, at first, I mean, it started with the Rocky scene thing, and you were kind of like, wait, what, what's yeah. going on here? The stomach illness before the game, he's not on the COVID list as of now. It'll be something to monitor. Uh, I think the report was he didn't have a fever, but he showed up at the stadium, had to be transported to a hospital. Um, yeah, just odd, weird. Yeah. Just peak 2020, honestly. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, putting that one to the side, let's talk about the two big ones, Campbell and Hooker. We'll we'll, we'll start with Campbell. Hearing him audibly scream, cry, whatever you want to call it, uh, just really just struck me. And I'm sure it was just scared, freaking out, Mm -hmm. you know, imagining the worst. You know, hopefully the Ian Rappaport tweet, you know, mentioning, you know, no ACL tear is true. You know, Frank Reich said after the game it looked bad. Um, I thought it was a pretty clean hit. I mean, how else do you tackle in the NFL? But, man, you just um, you just feel for the kid. You do. I Absolutely. mean, awful, awful luck. He was not injury-prone in college. I think that's the thing that we forget. You know, Malik Hooker had some health. T.Y. Hilton had some injuries at Florida International. Campbell, I don't think he missed a game his final three years at Ohio State. So this wasn't the the concern. Um, we're recording this right now. Literally, as we talk about this segment, it's 10.35 a.m. Monday morning. Uh, by the time you listen to this, there will probably be some more concrete information on it. All I'll say is this, Chris, when you, when the Colts initially listed him as questionable to return, mm-hmm. not out, I'm like, all right, maybe that's a decent sign. You know, if you do the ACL test right there manually, you probably rule him out yep. anyways. You're like, all right, you're not going in the game if we think you tore your ACL, but, you know, we're going to have an MRI to confirm it. So, you know, listening to Frank Reich talk about it after the game, he, first off, they love Paris Campbell as a human being. Secondly, Frank Reich knows what he means to this offense. You know, we have talked about it endlessly. There are unique football players in this football team, guys that are different than any other player in their position group. Paris Campbell's close to the top of that list. Out-snapped, out-targeted T.Y. Hilton week one. Mm -hmm. Hell, look at the play he got hurt on. Yeah. Jet sweep. Mm Mm-hmm. Get him a touch. Second play of the game. Get him a touch. Get the Vikings defense moving horizontally because we're going to pound Taylor and pound Taylor up the gut all day long. Um, Just sucks, you know, hamstring, hernia, hand, foot, three surgeries last year, the car crash. You know, where do you you begin? In such a matchup-driven league, Chris, there is not a plug-and-play replacement for him. Nope. So you hope that it's honestly you hope it's MCL. I don't know dislocated knee. Well, I I don't know. Whatever is not a year long mm-hmm. absence is what you're hoping for at this point with Paris Campbell. It, it's just a crushing blow to this team. 
Um, like I said, matchup-driven league means so much. Phillip Rivers needs these guys. He needs the these t- sort of athletes around him to help this offense reach its potential. And then, you know, selfishly, because as we always do on this podcast, one eye looking ahead, you know, how can you say with concrete confidence that Paris Campbell's a definite, unquestioned future piece of your team moving forward? Right. You know, you, you, you think that and you hope that, but, I mean, it's a long, long injury list for him right now. Um, yeah. It's it's tough, and then you're predicting, you know, T.Y. Hilton in the contract year, and we've talked about how the Campbell season would impact what I think a Hilton contract would right. look like. You know, those things that you get into it. So we'll touch more on it on a Wednesday's pod. I know we got some Twitter questions about it as well, but God, it sucks. Sucks for him. And Hooker. Yeah, I mean, that. I've tried to go back and watch it. I can't find the play. I think he got hurt on the safety, but I, I need the All-22 version to look at it. I assume it was non-contact. I know Colts Radio mentioned that he was, you know, in tears on the sideline. Mm-hmm. Obviously, an Achilles test you can do. You can, hell, you can probably see it pretty easily. Um, you know, people like to, I think, um, rip Malik Hooker, and I think – the rip is more so because he hasn't lived up to the 15th overall pick. I think when you're, when you just honestly evaluate him, he has not lived up to the 15th overall pick, but he's also not a terrible safety by any means. I mean, through the first two weeks, the Colts really haven't allowed a big play vertically. He's a big reason, Mm -hmm. you know, part of that. So, um, where it hurts you, Chris, is kind of how I view, um, Marlon Macker running back. You know, I don't think the drop-off is massive. I think the drop-off from Mac to Taylor is less than the drop-off to Hooker to whatever, Blackman to to Von Wilson, uh, George Odom, whatever you decide to do at safety. But where where it worries me is this. I look at safety and look at the secondary in general, and you're worried about the depth, more so at corner than safety. But think about today's NFL. It's such a pass happy league. You want to be, you want to have multiplicity. It's the same thing I talk about with Matt, Matt Eberflus. I want to have six different game plans that I feel comfortable using in a given week. Yeah. So Sam Darnold doesn't know what the hell I'm using. I mean, hell, against Sam Darnold, you could probably play with eight defenders and, <laughs> and get away with a win. But you know what I'm getting at here. Yeah. It's, yeah. I want to be able to use Julian Blackman and be like, oh, you were corner in college. Let's try this. Let's see if you can go batch up in the slot against. Whoever down the road, right. uh, some tight end or something like that. And I guess that's where you lose some things. Of It's not just the big play stuff that he wasn't allowing. It's the, man, how multiple can you be? How sub-packagey can you be? Do I want Julian Blackman playing 100% of the snaps starting next week? Right. You know, that's, that's a big burden even to throw on him. Uh, so that's where you really, I think, are hurt by this loss. And, and Blackman looked really good. Again, the the instincts were there. Uh, you know, when he said a few weeks ago, yeah, I feel about 95%, probably a little bit more. <laughs> I certainly saw that. I saw a guy that looked pretty close to 100%. Now it's just the wear and tear of week in and week out, potentially playing a starter role. Um, and it just to lose, you're losing a little bit of creativity with this injury. So, um We'll uh, we'll see later today if we get confirmation there. 
And another topic, this goes to your hit and misses article that's up on 107.5thefan.com right now, and that's T.Y. Hilton's play these first two weeks. Yeah, I'd say probably the biggest individual disappointment through the first two weeks is is T.Y. Hilton. Um, the drop, <laughs> what a great ball by Rivers. Man, we talked about arm strength mm-hmm. last week. What a beautiful ball, beautiful ball from Phillip. Sun, shade, I don't know. It looks terrible when you watch it on TV, just the glare and everything. And yep. I, I know it's not ideal, but T.R. Hilton's played in that stadium for nine years. He, he catch the ball. Flat out catch it. it it's, uh, it's not only the amount of drops, Chris. It's like the quality of the drops. Right. Touchdown. Fourth down last week. Final drive of the game. I mean, he's had three drops this year. He had three drops all last year. He had four drops the year before that when he played, I think, virtually every game in 2018 or pretty close to it. And what worries me, too, is, like, this is healthy Hilton. Yeah. You know, when he came back last year and played on that short week in Houston and he had the two drops, he kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt, like, well, he hasn't really practiced much, you know, this and There's no excuse there. So really, really disappointed so far. If I'm going to find a silver lining, and I hope this doesn't confuse people, but this is where I'll find a little silver lining in this. If you were going to tell me through two weeks, T.Y. Hilton has, whatever, seven catches for 60 yards and an ugly catch percentage, it's got to be under 50%. My first question would be to you probably is, oh boy, is he not separating? Is he not creating any space? Is he not getting open? Mm Mm-hmm. He's getting open. Yeah, he is. So th- that's where I have hope of, like, this is not a he's about to turn 31, he's had the injuries, he's just old. I, this isn't that. I mean, hell, he was wide open on the uh, touchdown or the what should have been a touchdown. And part of that, I think, is, again, play action. Boom, you're able to hit it deep. Hands have been reliable for him. Mm-hmm. So that's where I have a little silver lining of, like, he's usually a good catcher of the football. Um. That's where I have a little bit of like, okay, there's some optimism. This is not just he looks like Reggie Wayne coming off the ACL. He looks like Andre Johnson at the age of 35, whatever he was. This isn't that. Yeah. But you're just used to him making play. You're used to him doing what Adam Thielen did on the first drive, mm-hmm. where he's just making stupid catches. That's what you're used to out of Hilton. So uh, Bears monitoring because this offense, you know, without Campbell, hello, <laughs> you got to get Hilton going ASAP. Vertical passing game will be the difference. It was a great blueprint to how you're able to win on Sunday. But, Chris, the Vikings, that Vikings team will not be playing in the month of January. Not to break any news in this podcast, <laughs> but uh, to to get to meaningful football in January, T.Y. Hilton's got to be a lot better, especially if Paris Campbell's going to be out. Right. Anything else you want to touch on before we jump into Twitter questions? No, I think that covers everything. Like you said, this is our usual what I liked, what I didn't like. Um we have a hits and misses pieces piece up on the site, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get into Twitter questions. All right, Como Joe uh, was unable to watch or listen to the game against Minnesota yesterday. What was the difference between games one and two that contributed most to winning game two? Boy, well, we certainly just hit on several of them. Um, you know, again, closer to the line of scrimmage. For that defense, I, I will start there. It wasn't all press man, and I've never said it needs to be all press man. It's disrupt timing. Your zone can still disrupt timing early in routes. Mm-hmm. Bump, 
Yep. You know, just disrupt the timing. It, it's a broken record, but we, we, we've had to um, say it so often. I thought there were smaller gaps in the zone. I talked about that Kenny Moore interception earlier. In an ideal world, Cousins, I think, would have led Johnson on that play. I felt like Anthony Walker was in great position to where he almost got a hand on it, and he was the blurred vision. Remember we talked about that last yep. week. Not enough blurred vision. More of that. The ball to Rudolph that Kenny Moore deflected. The ball to Thielen that Xavier Rhodes broke up as well. Blurred vision. You just did not have that. So, um, good work there. And then, offensively, you just were committed. You were committed to running it. It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, the high school quarterback that can't throw. It was Navy's offense without the wishbone. That's exactly what it was. And just... We put too much on Philip Rivers' plate. Let's not do that. And you, it's not every week you won't face this D line, but against this D line, you could do that. Yep. Jenny wants to know what Colts team are we looking at this year? The one that showed up week one against the Jaguars or the Vikings? And why can't we seem to get consistent play over the last several years? Jenny, this is, is there a more week two question in the NFL? Which team are we? Mm-hmm. The team we, I mean, literally everyone asks it. I, I, I trust me. The whole car ride home, I'm like, what Colts team is this? <laughs> um, now, as far as your second question, Jenny, why can't the Colts get consistent play over the last few years? Well, that's that's pretty simple. That's This team has been a mediocre football team. You know, when you miss the playoffs four out of the last five years, it's because you're inconsistent and you're mediocre and you just aren't a great football team. Um but yeah, getting back to your first point, it, it's I think we're going to get to November, Chris, and I still expect the Colts to be over 500, and you know, hopefully for their sake, a couple of games over 500. And I don't think I'm going to be able to have a lot of like, this is the team we'll see atop the AFC mm-hmm. South at the end of the year. This is the team that can do things in January. I just don't think we will get, you know, what's the best barometer? What's the best measuring? Are the Bears any good? Or have they just played two, you know, yeah. just gotten lucky in pulling out those wins the first two weeks? Uh, that's it. I mean, the Lions don't look any good. I thought they'd be halfway decent. Bengals, Browns, that speaks for itself. So, I I think they're more like the the, the Vikings, the team we saw. But, you know, I've been fooled by this defense before. We mm-hmm. were fooled by it in Kansas City and, and Arrowhead last year. Right. That wasn't the norm. Where I'm worried right now moving forward is just is depth. You know, you're starting to lose. I mean, we're talking running back one, wide receiver two, tight end one, tight end two, you know, various injuries, obviously, and, and, and severity and whatnot. But I guess luckily you haven't hit trenches. That's where you've stayed healthy. O-line and D-line have right. stayed pretty healthy. But I, I think they're more like the Vikings. But, you know, like I said earlier, the Colts, I expected them to be one-on-one after the first two weeks. Here they are. I'm not. I tend not to get away from my win-loss prediction too early in the season. I think that's kind of dangerous. And so far, I'm going to stay there. Dalton wants to know if you thought that uh, Jonathan Taylor looked a little nervous or stiff yesterday because he believes that once Taylor loosens up and the game starts slowing down, he could be one of the best running backs in the league. Well, shit. I mean, uh, stiff and 100 yards. I'll take, I'll take that, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will uh... – Sign me up for that. How long did the Colts go without a 100-yard rusher a few years ago? That was some yeah. real stiff running backs and stiff offensive lines then. Um, you know, Dalton, I, I, I get where he's going with this question. 
there were maybe a few times where he missed a little bit of a hole or could have had a bigger run, but, you know, I thought yesterday was, again, it was the 230-pound Jonathan Taylor, not the 4-3, 40-yard, and that's what makes him so freaking good. Right. He can hit you with a couple of different ways, like you said, Chris, falling forward on a routine basis. So And that juke. Oh, yeah, that was a corner, Ooh. too. Hill, <laughs> Holton Hill, yeah, that was a, man, pick up the laundry there. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but first NFL start, 100 yards. I'm not, I'm not gonna nitpick, man. Colts fan and Cincy wants to know with Campbell and Hooker going down, who are the best available free agents whom would fit the Colts' respective schemes? Yeah, it's probably gonna be a popular question. Um, you know, Campbell to me, Chris is the one more I'm thinking of. That's what you're missing. Mm-hmm. That's the slot. That's the gadgety guy. You know, we saw them jet sweep with Ashton Doolin late in the game. They don't trust Doolin as a receiver to throw him out there in that role. Right. Uh, you know who's a free agent? Slot wide out. Uh, People will turn off the pod once they hear the name. Who are you going with here? Chester. That's true. You know, I, true. I, I know it sounds crazy, but... Um, He's earned some level of trust with this coaching staff before. It's you know, Marcus Johnson. He's out there, obviously. Like it, it's not a great. I was looking through the free agent wideout list, and again, not a lot of slot guys. Which, which that's what you got to look for. Mm-hmm. You know, Taylor Gabriel is a name. I'm like, oh yeah, and then I'm like, wait, he opted out. You know, that's you got to think True. about that as well with some of these guys. So th- there is a slot wideout into Michael Harris on the practice squad, an undrafted kid that I thought had some moments in camp, but. It just seems like this is going to be a by committee sort of thing. It does. Um, I would look into the Chester Rogers thing. I, I know, you know, that will make people want to puke, but welcome to injuries in the NFL. Yeah. Like, you can't, you just don't have the depth. This is not Clemson and Alabama where the next five star will slide in there. Uh, you know, is it Hines a little bit more in the slot? I don't know. He didn't play a whole lot of running back yesterday, and Wilkins did his usual thing there. Safety wise, Tavon Wilson started, I think, a ton of games last year in the NFL. George Odom, I think, has played well when he's gotten in the mix. Obviously, Blackman. And there's a veteran safety on the practice squad. Um, Oh, gosh, I forget his name. I'm going to look it up. I think it's something Campbell, um, who started in the NFL before as well. So that would be a round. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I feel like you've got some depth at safety. Okay. That's fair. That's it. Anybody else I miss? No. In the question? No. Nope, let, let me um let me see if I can find that safety. Um ooh. Yeah, um Ibrahim Campbell. Okay. Been in the league for six years. Mm-hmm. Um again, in this pole practice squad realm that you're in, former fourth round pick. So this is a guy that at least has some experience in the league. Right. Of 53 games of experience. So, yeah. Got some options, a little bit more in-house. Sticking with the injuries, IU fan in Texas has a question about thoughts on the impact of shortened camp and no preseason has had on these injuries around the league. I don't know how you can't. You know, I I don't know how you can't. 
said it has, and we had Jeff Saturday on earlier today, and I kind of asked him, is this kind of a lockout feel? You know, did you have a lot of injuries back coming out of the lockout in mm-hmm. 2011? Now, remember, that year you still had a normal preseason. Right. You still had the jo- – I, I think a big thing that was missing from camp was the joint practices. That intensity level is mm-hmm. ramped up. It's a different color jersey. Right. Guys inevitably go harder in that. So um, I, I put that there as well. You know, I saw in Peter King's Monday Morning Quarterback today, he mentioned how Austin Eckler was doing pull-ups at, like, a playground. Like, a you take your kids to the <laughs> playground and literally doing chin-ups, pull-ups, whatever, on the monkey bars during COVID. So, it's just, these guys aren't under your watchful eye. Darius Leonard took all the, you know, weightlifting equipment from his high school. It's just, it's different. Mm-hmm. So... It was alarming yesterday, man, following the games on Twitter and obviously watching the Colts, just seeing how many injuries there were. So hopefully this is not the trend or else, man, relying on your depth and just survival of a 16-game season will be the name of the game this year. This question comes from the great one, and it's regarding Naheem Hines, and we do have a, a good amount of Hines questions this week for the podcast. Is he going to be special teams only now? No, 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 no. I mean, this is Frank Reich doing Frank Reich things. It's changing up weekly game plans. It's making, okay, now the Jets this week, they have to prepare heavily for Jonathan Taylor, and then they're like, oh, gosh, Naeem Hines touched it 15 times in week one. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you know, some of the red zone stuff, I'd probably like to see, um, you know, Hines a little bit more involved, get some more creativity there and the two-back stuff that we've talked about before. But, um you know, this is a game where you were in full control of the run. You weren't going up tempo. You weren't passing a lot. You weren't going hurry up. So Hines isn't going to play as much. Yeah. So yeah, I, I have you know nine snaps. Expected a little bit more certainly, but game flow dictates a lot. And I like Frank Reich's creativity, and I still expect Hines to have a big role offensively throughout various uh, you know games this season. Jody wants to know what your take on. What's your take, Okariki outsnapping Walker by a large margin? Do you think that's just a natural evolution since they love Okariki so much, or do you think it was due to last week's defensive performance? That was a big number. Yeah. Big number. It was uh, 46 to 30, Okariki outsnapping Walker. Um, Boy, total flip from week one. Yeah, it was. I was surprised week one we didn't see Okariki on the field more. Um, you know, I know the Vikings got behind. They had to throw it a little bit, but still, I mean, they ran it. It was still a two-possession game for a large chunk of the second half. Um, yeah, I, I this is something that I'll be curious to monitor as the weeks move along of when they talk about not enough defensive playmaking, things like that. Do they want more of the Athletic Okariki on the field to maybe close up some of those zone gaps and mm-hmm. things like that? He had three tackles. I didn't notice him a whole lot. He was pretty physical, I thought, at times in the run game. I think Walker only had one tackle. Um, so, yeah, that'll be something to keep an eye on moving forward. This question comes from Dara. Frank Reich says says that was the blueprint of how they want to play, but do you think they'll have the patience to stick with the run game against the high-scoring Ravens or Texans, et cetera? Also, when are we starting the Kenny Moore Appreciation Club? Hell, we've we've already done it. Yeah. you got to get started over there in We're Ireland, in darg. I mean that's that, that that's where we got to get started over there. Uh, very Kenny Moore like performance from him yesterday. You know, as for, that's a good point in the higher scoring games. I mean, and this is what I get back to a lot. It's 
the week-to-week game plans, what is going to get you the win this week? Mm-hmm. You're playing Minnesota. They, no one expected them to score a whole lot. Uh, their defensive line, interior-wise, is extremely weak right now. They've had guys opt out, guys get hurt, whatnot. So pound it. That was the recipe for this week. Um, it's not going to work every week. And you've obviously – the biggest disappointment non-Hilton division through two weeks is what you've done situationally. Mm-hmm. Red zone and third down has been terrible. Again, that's usually a Frank Reich staple. So I'm not – you know, I think that will eventually get worked out, but it's really been an issue. It's why Minnesota hung around way too long yesterday than they should have. Um, so, yeah, I'm not – you know, there's, there's an element of, like, you play keep away in those games – and then you realize you got to score. I mean, if you can finish off drives, you can afford to have yesterday's blueprint. But still, um, you're going to have to evolve from a vertical passing offense yeah. to beat Baltimore, Kansas City, hell, Buffalo. Yeah, true. Who looks pretty good early on. All right. It's week two. Dr. Digglesworth, are the Colts going to the Super Bowl? God, yeah, I love fandom. I love it. You know, we have one great NFL fandom, a- any fandom. I love fandom. Last week, should we tank? This week, we going to the Super Bowl? <laughs> yeah, and I think there might be a tanking one in here that I threw in here because it was still from last week, but there is literally nothing be- more beautiful than week one to week two in the NFL, mm-hmm. how quickly things can change. And I'm sorry, like, I don't know. Unless we see it one way or the other, there will be individual takeaways here early on the season. I guess if they look really, really bad, that won't be good. But if like, they look great, it's still just going to be like, where are they at measuring mm-hmm. stick I mean, there's a good chance. I, we're, we're two weeks into the season. The Colts won't play a single playoff team in the first seven games. Maybe right. Chicago. I don't know. Maybe this is them. But there, there's a legit chance of that. Then you look at the back half. Right. And it's playoff oh, yeah. team every single week almost. Cash Considerations has a Mo Alley Cox question. Again, another uh, big topic this week for the podcast. I should have mentioned him earlier. Sorry about that. I should I, I should have mentioned Mo in the old in the old rookies. Go ahead with the question. Big Mo had a good game post the drop interception. Was he running the same routes that Doyle does and presumably Burton would? Or did you notice any set runs differently for the big target? Curious if his skill set dictates what plays are called more so than a vet like Doyle. You know, I probably noticed a little bit more vertical. Like, balls just kind of down the field a little bit more. Um, who asked that question again? Cash considerations. Uh, yeah, a little bit more vertical stuff. I, I love getting Mo the ball on a screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who the hell Run. wants to tackle him? Yeah. Go big man. You know, I mean, good for Anthony Harris going low, but that was a big play. You know, it's... His skill is a little bit different than Doyle, and I think he can be a little bit more of I climb the ladder and go get it. You know, they're, they're similar build uh, height-wise, but Mo obviously has the power forward body mm-hmm. more to him, and we saw that play on uh, on the goal line, or near the goal line. It was probably a 20-yard play, something like that. A play that I loved, Rivers just lobbed one up on like a third and five, and Allie Cox literally just boxed his guy out. And it was like a slow, is that ball ever going to get there? I'm like, what? What? Oh, yeah. There's that dude that used to play at VCU. Um, his hands almost dude, fit entirely around the football when he's, he's holding him both up there. Massive hands. Um, I went back and 
actually read my article from Colts.com when he first signed with the uh, with the franchise, and I kind of forgot some of the stuff in there. He signed right before the draft started as, I guess, mm-hmm. an undrafted free agent because he had redshirted a VCU, so he was technically eligible for the draft. He had been, you know, in the league for three years or in college for three years. And Jimmy Ray, who was a Ryan Grigson uh, VP of player personnel at the time, was a big kind of advocate for making that signing of getting Mo Cox in here. And I couldn't believe yesterday, and Mo told the story earlier in the week, your two top tight ends yesterday, Mo Cox, Noah Tungiai, all right? Mm-hmm. Those two played against each other. I don't think Noah got in the game, but he was on the bench. In the first round of the NCAA tournament in 2016. <laughs> that's a great That's a great tidbit. Tungyai was the Moali Cox of the scout team for Oregon State as they prepped for VCU in round one. Now, Moali had like 20 and 8, so it didn't really work out well for uh, the Oregon State Beavers. But um, just good for Oregon State making the NCAA tournament in basketball because usually they suck. Right. But, yeah, I mean, just how crazy is that? That's where you're at tight end depth-wise. You know, two former basketball players. And Noah eventually played college football, but still, it's just kind of a funny story there of – where you were at, um, I thought Mo did a great job bouncing back from the drop. That could be mm-hmm. demoralizing for him. Uh, he's got to be better there. He was that frame. Great play by Harrison Smith, showing why he's a one of the better safeties in the league. But still, uh, and, and Rivers, you know, Wright told told us after the game how Rivers came to the staff this week and was like, "I trust Mo. Like, give him chances. I trust him." And I thought you saw that. And with all these skill injuries, Chris, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to need Mo Alley Cox. And when Trey Burton gets back here in a couple weeks, seemingly, you need him as well. Doyle doesn't seem like he's going to be out that long. So, yeah, great, great work from Mo. This one comes from Zach. Looks like the Colts will have two roster spots open. Do you think may, Do you think this is maybe a place where they take a chance and bring in a veteran or stay young or promote from the practice squad? So far, they've kind of been more practice squad based, which yeah. you know they have some options there as well. If I if I saw a veteran, I think it'd be at receiver more than safety. Varus asks, "Do you think it's over for Malik Hooker as a Colt? They already declined his fifth year option, and then after the Achilles injury, Blackman comes in and had an immediate impact." A lot of questions on this one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I do. I think that's the last snap. We just saw it. I do. Um, and, and you know, this is – I was obviously an advocate for picking up his option. Small, non-guaranteed as well. You know, I thought it was pretty low low risk there. But this is why. I mean, he's struggled to stay healthy. You know, the basketball frame is kind of a high school guy. He, you know, only played for one season at Ohio State. So how much was his durability there? And he got banged up Yeah. in that one season there. Um. I don't know. You know, maybe it's like a Mac thing and you get them on the shorter term deal here, more manageable, but there's a little bit more writing on the wall that would suggest mm-hmm. otherwise than the Marlon Mack situation. Dalton wants to know is Blackman a future star? It's 32 snaps. You know, I can't go there yet, but I like what I saw. I really did. And, and when I saw him on film in college, Chris, I was more intrigued the more I watched. 
to me, it was all just about the ACL. That's what kind of worried me. Yeah. You know, do guys come back for, from it? Obviously, Hooker has struggled in that department. But you love the versatility. You love the instincts. Didn't look timid to me at all out there. He's got just kind of a Kari Willis swagger to him, I think, of, I know what I'm doing, and I'm going to trust it. And more often than not, I'm going to be around the ball. Yeah. I love that pick, just seeing him and Willis back there. It's like, this could be the future. Right. Right. And I mean, that could be Sunday. Yeah. 405. Right. I yeah. mean, literally, you, you could be Marlon Mack, Malik Hooker, the two biggest question marks you probably had of individual guys in contract years. Both have torn their Achilles. It's looking like after two games a season. And now, you know, we had talked about how, how much is Blackman going to play as a rookie. Mm-hmm. You might put him in the Taylor Pittman category now as guy you need big time. This comes from Jeff. What's up with T.Y.? Not on the field much for a number one. Isn't hurt. And the drops. Well, yeah, I mean, Jeff, it's a good question. Obviously, we, we talked about the play counts earlier. It was all run commitment. I don't think that was T.Y.'s in the doghouse. It was, no, Pascal and Pittman are good blockers, or at least we think they are. Uh, we're going to put them out there. So, um, yeah, and, and I guess I go back to what I said earlier about my concern with Hilton. It's just this is him healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, when do the nicks and bruises start to happen for an NFL season? So, yeah, does he continue to create the amount of separation that he has so far? This one comes from Alex, who loved the podcast. Uh, he thinks based on week one, we saw the Colts' vision of Campbell being a wide receiver, too, for the season. Who do you think steps into that role if he misses an extended period of time? Pascal, Pittman. See, that that's the thing, Chris. I just don't think it's, boom, Zach Pascal takes Paris Campbell's role. Michael Pittman takes Paris Campbell's They yeah. are the same body types. They're not the same speed. They aren't just... They don't have the same skill set. They just don't. They can help you out, and they'll do some stuff in the slot, but they're not going to give you what Campbell does. Jet sweeps, screens, vertical, put the ball in his hands and let him run. That's what you really miss. So, yeah, maybe a mix of Hines. I don't know. Do you trust Doolin at all? Yeah, it's just different. It's a huge loss. It is a huge loss if he is going to be out for – however long he's going to be out. This comes from Wood. Why the reverse popularity in player distribution slash play calling on offense, i.e. no Hines? That's Frank Reich for you. I mean, it's – and there's a level of unpredictability that I think we should appreciate. I I know – I don't know. Maybe everyone has Naeem Hines on their fantasy team and they were pissed and like, (laughs) oh, I'm in a PPR league. What, you know, what, what the hell? This is kind of Frank Reich. Like, this is what we're used to. There are weeks – I mean, how many times has Belichick – you know, whatever. Jonas Gray is going to carry it 30 times, uh-huh. and then next week he's going to be benched. I mean, it's just you know, guys are active one week and they're inactive the next week. This is part of the NFL and just offensive creativity. Did I think it would be this stark? No, but I tried to caution people last week of when Marlon Mack has been hurt in years past, it hasn't all of a sudden meant Naeem Hines, his role skyrockets. Mm-hmm. It hasn't. Sunday was another example of that. This question comes from Keese. Uh, Jack Doyle has has been more than reliable when on the field, but after seeing what Mo was capable of, doesn't that bring a different aspect to the offense that Jack just doesn't bring? Yeah, oh, definitely. And diversify your skill, guys. Diversify skill sets. We love we love the multiple tight ends here in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. So this is good. This is, um, you know, Mo Alley Cox I think struggled at times as a route runner. 
That's what I think held him back from playing a little bit more. But certainly vertically down the field, I mean, what do you have, 111? Yeah, leading receiver by far. 22 yards per catch? Mm-hmm. And one of them was a screen? And, like, balance. I mean, his long was 33. It's not like he had a long of 60. He, he just was – let me see if I can find his other catches. Yeah, so he was he very consistent. 33, 27, 21, 16, and 14. Talk about chunk plays. That's not a five-yard tight end running a button hook. I mean, that's that's providing some big plays for you. So, yeah, I mean, certainly – and that's no knock on Doyle. Doyle brings a whole lot to this team. It's just diversify, baby. Mm-hmm. This question comes from Tom. Do you think the Colts regret not upgrading the cornerback spot more this year? He's still not confident in Rhodes, and although they couldn't predict Tell opting out, feels like this group is a little shaky other than Kenny Moore, of course. Yeah, I mean, Tom, you and I are on the same page there. I, I think they should regret that. Uh, but I thought TJ Carey gave you some good minutes yesterday, and uh, that was needed as an outside corner with Rock Yassine. But, yeah, that, I've said that many times, and when you play more pass-happy offenses that have – a more complete wideout set, you're mm-hmm. going to be tested with this uh, outside cornerback group. Travis absolutely loved Jonathan Taylor's running style and thinks he's going to continue to improve. What do you see JT finishing the season at statistically if he continues to stay healthy? Well, I mean, definitely eclipsing a thousand yards. Yeah, I mean it's. Yeah, and I he had what twenty in week one. He had a hundred and something in week two. So that's. Yeah, 101 yesterday. 120-ish divided by 2 times 16. He's on pace for 960. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think he'll be over, over 1,000 yards, yeah. This comes from Scott. Do you think part of the Colts' struggle so far this year on third down in the red zone has a little to do with Trey Burton not being in there? Yeah, I think that's a good point, Scott. Um, and that's what I worry about with Campbell. You yeah. Know, just, the, just the pre-snap motion of he's moving in this direction, and oh my gosh, where's 15? 15, 15, you know. 15 comes on the field, you're like, oh, gosh. Make sure we have an eye on him. Mm-hmm. By the way, I thought the Colts did a nice job kind of doubling Adam Thielen at times. That just popped into my head. I agree. They, they, they did a good job there, especially in the red zone. Um, so, yeah, I think Burton, we've talked about, I think he'll be a third-down red zone weapon for this team. And just you need more skill talent. You need it. You need it, need it, need it. We know Frank or um, what's his name? Philip Rivers has played with some bigger targets. Frank mm-hmm. talked about that. Mo Ali Cox fits that mold, the bigger target. True. Uh, we saw Philip use that really well. Tommy enjoys the win, but he still can't help wonder why the that, why there were no defensive adjustments made during the Jags game, seeing that they could easily now be two and zero. Another question we got quite a bit. Uh, Tommy spot on here. Mm-hmm. And, you know that's why it's so maddening. Of, and I go back to something Frank Reich talked about. In the offseason, you know, he, he really harped on how he needs to improve as a coach. So I asked him that. I'm like, okay, specifically, what do you mean? And he talked about him as a play caller, saying, when we get into ruts offensively, where are my go-to situations to get us out of ruts? No huddle. Mm-hmm. You know, a screen, finding door. I, I don't know. Whatever. The same thing defensively. When you're getting shredded, what can you turn to? Do you have multiple things within your scheme, playbook, game plan, whatever that you can turn to? This is this is a, a bunch that should be on the same page. Mm-hmm. You brought back everybody personnel-wise that mattered besides Javal Sheard and Pierre Desir. And DeForest Buckner should be on the same page. And Xavier Rhodes shouldn't be that far off. 
it's like the Kansas City game last year. You, you played so well, and then you never really saw that again the rest of the season, or at least not that much. So now I want to see is, was week one the ultimate wake-up call? Was that the ultimate wake-up call? This question's from Chris, who's a lifelong Colts fan living in California and a fan of the podcast. He's super excited about the play of the rookie class this week, but he also has another question like we talked about with free agency. On the defensive side of the ball, are there any realistic free agency, free agent corners or safeties that you could see Ballard going after? It's a good question, Chris. Appreciate you, and obviously thoughts to everyone out in California right yeah. now dealing with a whole different animal out there. So um, appreciate you tuning in. Um, you know, I think when we look at um, safety, Chris, a lot will depend on what you think of Blackman. Right. You know, if you think Blackman can handle it, I mentioned the depth you have there. You have better depth there than you do at corner. You know, everyone's tweeting at me about Eric Bear. At, oh, Clinton Dix, I think, is still a free mm-hmm. agent. Uh, Clayton Gathers is a free agent. You know, it's like, are you guaranteeing much playing time? Eric Reed's of the world. You know, those sorts of things. Um, it's kind of like the working out Lamar Miller last week. That's probably only for a Jonathan Taylor injury. Right. Corner-wise, we, we've gone over some of the names. Uh, Tremaine Johnson, uh, Prince of Mukamara. Uh, I think Tremont Williams is there. Ross Cockrell's there. It's an older group. Claiborne, I think, is one of them as well. But still, if you're healthy with Rhodes, you've seen Carey now outside. I don't see the Colts turning there just yet. All right, three more Twitter questions. This one's forged in blue. They have a hot take. Blackman has now taken the spot from Hooker and won't give it back. What do you think? Well, I mean, if he's torn his Achilles, I don't know how how, how hot that is. Right. That, uh, yeah, that sounds like Rosie's bottle that I put in the warmer and then <laughs> used the bathroom, and I'm in the bathroom for too long, and the bottle's not very warm anymore. Yeah, that's not very hot to me. Um, like I said earlier, I think there's a good chance Malik Hooker's played his final snap with the Colts. All right, here's that tank question we talked about. This comes from Ryan from it. And from to be Chicago. fair, Chris, this was sent in before Sunday. Yes, yeah, but. I did want to make sure that we slid it in. I, I I try to get to everybody's question either on Monday or Wednesday's podcast. If the Colts were to continue to struggle, should they consider tanking? It seems like an absolute perfect opportunity with so many fans choosing not to watch for personal, reason, personal reasons and the stadium being empty due to COVID and Trevor Lawrence being there at the top. If there was ever a time to quietly sneak into a tank season, this would be the time. And it could still be fun. Just throw an Eason, see what he can do. Uh, I know you paid Philip Rivers. But sustained success seems to be a better choice. I love the line, quietly sneak in the tank season. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a thing? Can you do that? You fly under the radar right. of mediocrity. No one's watching us on CBS right. or Fox. You know? <laughs> I, I actually I, I laugh a little bit at the question, but I think there's a lot of um a lot of valid points in here. Now, I will preface by saying there's no chance that they will tank. You know, this is just a totally different side of thinking than Chris Ballard or Jim Mercer or Frank Reich will have. Uh, but still, there are a lot of good points about the sustained success. I do think it would be fun to watch Jacob Eason try and grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different types of fun. <laughs> you know, right. that wouldn't be fun on the win-loss column. But if you're able to hit on it, you know, 3-13 and 13 for Peyton year one wasn't fun. But you watch growth of the guy that now is a statue in front of the stadium. And obviously, Eason is not in that class. But... Um, it's something we just have, have never done here. 
You know, I'm kind of, damn, if I'm the Chargers, I'm kind of like, oh, Tyrod, I, don't rush back, you yeah. know? Justin Herbert, let's see what more is there. You know, that, that can be enjoyable to a degree for a fan base. So, uh, it's not going to happen, Ryan. I agree with you, though. It's not the worst year in the world to be drafting top five, top ten. Nope. But uh, I don't expect the Colts to be there at all. And last one for this Monday edition of the podcast is from Isaac. Is Pittman going to be used as more of a decoy than an actual threat, giving his difficulty with NFL adjustments? Yeah, and this was thrown in there as well before Sunday. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, he he can't be a decoy. He's You just don't have enough depth of receiver, especially if Campbell's going to miss time. And, you know, again, Phillip Rivers, we saw the miscommunication from those two on that one red zone out route. But Rivers trusts the dude. I mean, right. targeted him four times on third down in the red zone in the first half and four catches for Pittman there. So, um, yeah, I mean, Pittman is – the Michael Pittman I've seen the first two weeks is better than the Michael Pittman I saw in training camp. I know the penalties, he's got to get yeah. – yeah, those have been weird, the crackbacks and all that stuff. But so far, good work from a guy that I felt pretty safe about when you drafted him. All right. Well, that wraps up Twitter questions for this edition. Cool. Um, yeah, we probably got 10 or 15 more that we'll get to on Wednesday. If you guys have any more, uh, throw them into the DM. And like we did with last week's pods, expect this sort of time frame really throughout the year. Certainly there'll be times that Chris and I got to adjust a little bit, but, um, it works for us. And, and we hope that you guys are at least getting this early on a Monday and then kind of get your preview pod Wednesday afternoon. Um, he's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week and uh one-on-one we'll preview Colts jets on Wednesday.